Adding supplements to your old game can be a way to implement new ideas that you were originally unskilled enough to make work. The art of bringing fresh ideas can also breathe new life into your previous creation. This week on Scheduled for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I welcome back Will Lentz to talk about Party First and Party First Twilight War, but mostly Twilight War, set in an alternate history reality. This Cold War supernatural espionage supplement has you participating in the Twilight War. What secrets will you expose? And what secrets will you hide? We talk about returning to your older work, vehicles, and inspirations. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am really excited to be having having Will return. Will, thank you so much for coming back. Hey, I am happy to be here, but more importantly, thank you for having me back again. And in pretty short order, all things considered. <laughs> Realistically, yeah, it's been, I think we were talking about it. It's been a little, a little under, a little over a month since we last talked. And we talked about Warmer in the Winter, which was the Hallmark lifestyle inspired game that you had designed. And we're, uh, we're here to talk about something that's a little bit different today. <laughs> A, a little bit different. Uh, here's Zach really um, downplaying things there, huh? <laughs> We're going to be talking about Party First and Party First Twilight War specifically, which is another game that you've made and the supplement that is coming up that's going to be on Kickstarter. Well, it's on Kickstarter right now. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it launched on the 8th, uh, and I'm not sure what date this will go live. I know you were talking about um, shuffling things around a little bit, but it should be running currently. So fingers crossed that it's doing really well. If it's not, listeners, please go make it do really well right now. <laughs> I think I told you this a couple times between even between the last episode and this episode, but I really like Party First. It's, it's, I, I said it earlier, it's like a simplified Call of Cthulhu in a really positive way. So before we get into what this game is though, Will, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and remind everybody who you are and how you've been? Yeah, well, I've, I've been pretty good. We had a little bit of a COVID uh, experience at our house, but my wife and oh, I no. came out of that just fine last week. So uh, I can turn my attention back to RPGs now. Um, <laughs> folks that listened to the previous episode uh, know that I have a long history in competitive card games, so we won't delve back into that. But uh, <laughs> I started with my, my first game of my own uh, was Party First. And I, I say that of my own. I, I do not want to downplay the contributions of other folks in that book. My, my yeah. co-designer, Brett, uh, my good buddy and, and graphical designer, Matt, uh, Evan, who did some writing for us, uh, ev- everybody that was involved. Um, and Rob, Rob also did some writing. Gosh, I almost forgot that. <laughs> um, but regardless, that, that was the first one. And since then, most of my works have kind of, uh, let's say, slingshotted across the landscape of theme (laughs) shall we say just a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah so warmer in the winter of course was the kickstarter last year you know heartwarming cute and fuzzy hallmark romance type of thing um party of first is kind of cthulian or cthulhu-esque horror um, I've got another one that uh, is, is a one-page solo RPG called One White Eye that's kind of Edgar Allan Poe-inspired, kind of a pit in the pendulum type thing. So that leans back into the the very grim horror and, uh, spoiler alert, sorry players, uh, there's not actually a way to win that game. Um, <laughs> and then that also swings to the other end with, a, uh, with another one-page solo game on the, the party first system called the date where you are experiencing a first date with somebody and all the trials and tribulations that go with that. So there's a few other games uh, since then that, that kind of hit back and forth as well. But you, you can tell, I seem to hit those two extremes pretty often, which yeah. I, I can kind of see uh, when I really stop and think about it. Like 
that's ripe ground for uh, gaming and like getting invested both in the the project sense and as a player right when when it is something that evokes some kind of stronger emotions so yeah yeah i guess it kind of makes sense yeah i think that makes sense too especially when (laughs) the two grounds i've seen you really hit are horror which there is a lot of attempted horror in tabletop role-playing games i think party first does a really good job about setting it up and giving you the tools to make a really good horror experience and then your romance side which is a total different thing we're going to put that on the back burner for now because as much as i love it i want to talk about party first so can you tell everybody a little bit about party first yeah so the the elevator pitch to party first that i usually give uh, especially on on twitter is that it is 1980s alt history pulp horror uh where you play not as the plucky residents of, say, Hawkins, Indiana, if you know that reference, uh, <laughs> but rather their counterparts in the uh, the communist regime in the Eastern Bloc. So we kind of flip some of that script here. It's a horror game, like you said. It's I shouldn't say horror. It's got horror elements that really intertwine well with it. And there's a whole lot going on in the background that you and the players and everybody at your table get to explore via the mechanics that are set up in party first. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a two good points that you uh, hit on for me to expand on here. One is it is not just only strictly horror. And that's, that's why I usually couch it with pulp horror, right? When, (laughs) when I only mention horror, people um, get a certain image in their head that things will always only be um, grim and go poorly and it will all end in doom and failure. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, um, Party First, I, I would not by any means call it a light game in tone. No. But um, it does give a bit more room for the players to, uh, what am I looking for here? Swashbuckle more, so to speak, <laughs> to have some impact. Yeah. It won't always go well, but it is not an absolute, you know, doom scenario. No, and one of the mechanics that helps push that forward is actually that tension meter. And I love that, by the way. Could you explain this this basic mechanic of party first, but also a couple of the other ones, just so that we, we know what we're talking about before we move into Twilight War? Yeah, yeah, I would be happy to. So party first is a custom D6 system uh, of my own or our own, Brett, had a uh, had a big hand in this as well, and it is kind of an amalgam of inspiration from games that we personally were playing and exploring uh, at the time, uh, or recently had. Um, you know, the storyteller system, World of Darkness stuff, um, yeah. some Powered by the Apocalypse flavor in there, some. Uh, shades of even like 7c second edition and that Mm -hmm. was one that at the time was pretty recent in our memories and um a lot of stuff in there is framed very cinematically and honestly even a lot of um the stuff in in powered by the apocalypse games uh, apocalypse world and like and obviously I, i did a lot of referencing that in warmer in the winter as well um, but thinking about that sort of cinematic framing and that type of pacing in a role-playing game context led to the creation of tension. And I know I said Brett uh, had a big part in this, but I do have to toot my own horn that tension was me. <laughs> Basically, when you are playing, or sorry, when you are watching one of these horror movies just any generic one where say somebody is trying to get into their car 
right? The opening scene of their movie, whatever, the high schooler pops open their car, hops in and rides down to, you know, the beach, no problem. But, you know, 45 minutes in, they're trying desperately to get into the car while the killer is slowly walking down the street toward them. And suddenly now they can't get their keys out of their pocket. They can't actually find the hole to get them in the door. They can't get them in the ignition. All, all of that type of thing. And it just gets harder and harder. And especially in these types of movies, that type of scenario does not only happen once right it you you don't have only that one moment of climax you know 90 percent of the way through the film yeah they do this multiple times where they they bring that that narrative tension really high and then something happens be it the kid finally gets their keys in the car and they speed off with seconds to spare or uh you know the killer catches them and slash there they go yeah um and then, you know, another 20 minutes later, they've built to another one of these scenes, something along mm-hmm. those lines. So I wanted Party First to be able to tackle that as well, especially because it's kind of geared towards one shots. And so I yeah. kind of wanted some of that cinematic pacing here. And so as you are rolling and the, the more rolling you do in the game, uh, you're going to generate tension based on uh, rolling ones. Uh, or there are kind of some bargaining, kind of some kind of push your luck type of uh, mechanics where you can try to do more at the cost of giving the GM more tension. Okay. And so the the tension then is both a resource that the GM can use. They can spend tension points for various abilities for um, adversaries and the like, but also tension. It serves as a tracker, a scale, sort of, about the environment and the tension uh, in the world around you. So when you need to do something in the game, and it is not a situation that would be trivially easy, right? The teenager at the start of the movie going to the beach, you don't need to roll for that. But later on... You know, when the killer is coming and it's more difficult, you are going to be rolling against the environment. And in that case, yeah, the tension is going to represent the environment. So the more the tension has built, the more times you've pushed that luck or just had poor luck and rolled ones, the higher that tension is going to be and the more difficult it's going to be to get the keys in the ignition. Now, that said, uh, tension can also cause something else to happen uh, that is kind of inspired by some of those kind of jump scares in a lot of films, where if tension hits a multiple of 10, uh, and this is only in an additive sense, I mentioned it's Mm -hmm. also a resource. This doesn't count if you get to 11, and then the GM spends one and goes back down to 10... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not that gamey. <laughs> but if it gets to to a multiple of 10, then you'll run into what's called a tension break. Tension will break. Something unexpected will happen. And so in the game, uh, in the core book, we recommend use of a tension table, uh, which is a six entry table. We recommend that you use that and you roll off and have something semi-unexpected even to the GM happen out of the those options on the table. And those could be a variety of things um, like and they, they could be interpreted different ways depending on the situation, but maybe it is uh, you know an unexpected adversary of some kind enters the scene. You know, so yes, the the killer is coming down the street toward you uh, while you're trying to get him into the car. Uh, but you turn and look to the right and, oh my goodness, there's someone else in the ghost face mask coming from the other (laughs) side down the street, right? Um, or maybe, uh, maybe someone is revealed to have been lying to you in some form, right? A trusted NPC and now the group loses a morale point. Um, there's a lot of different options here that can change things up from how how it was anticipated that the scene would go 
And I also like that 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 plays in, you know, you can keep trying to get the keys in the ignition. Even if you fail that first time, you can try again at the cost of adding another point to tension and you can keep doing that. So there are some interesting times in uh, that we felt we've created here that other games like say D and D can kind of run a, into a, a snag with like, Oh, mm-hmm. Hey, I, uh, I try to unlock the treasure chest. Uh, shoot. Well, I, I rolled a two. I guess I failed that. Now what? I don't yeah. know. I guess I try to unlock the treasure chest again. And you know, you need a GM that can, um, find a good creative way to not allow that to happen. And in, yeah. in party first, players can choose to do that. They can try to stick their keys in the ignition again if they want, but they have to know that they are pushing their luck and making it a little bit more difficult each time they do it. And that eventually, if they keep doing it, tension's going to break and something is going to happen. So it's not a static thing no no matter what something is changing each time they try to tackle that the big thing too to remember this is that it's really coming down to tension builds as players make mistakes which almost acts as its own stress because the more they fumble worse things get for them down the line Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. exactly it's a really cool system. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really like tension. It's probably my favorite thing, and that's probably why I rambled about that one point a lot longer <laughs> than uh, you probably want me to for the episode. Oh, it's totally fine. I actually really, it's a really in-depth explanation. So I think people are going to appreciate that because, like you said, it's a a fairly straightforward dice system, right? When we get down to the nitty-gritty of mechanics. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, You are picking an attribute plus a skill depending on your situation and then rolling a die pool equal to that and then you're picking uh two dice of your choice i almost said the best but if you want to fail for some reason you could pick lower um and then comparing that against a target number and now that number is going to change depending on the situation and so we don't phrase it as a target number in the book because uh, it could be against the environment and tension is directly going to come into play, like we said. Uh, or uh, it could be opposed. You could be uh, coming up against, um, you know, trying to attack a monster or trying to convince a politician or, or whatever, some other thinking uh, to some extent being. Yeah. And in, in that case, they are going to roll their own pool back at you. All right. No, that makes perfect sense to me. It's like I said, I figured out how to play this game really quickly. Usually I'm not great at figuring dice mechanics out on the first shot. So being able to read this was really clear and concise. And I really liked that. I also really liked the classes in this game. So just so people know, before we actually really hop into Twilight War and some of the stuff you've added, what are some of the roles that players can take on in party first? Yeah, um, it's it's a variety of stuff. Now, of course, kind of one of the, the conceits with a game like this themed around the Cold War analog uh, in, in this alt world, um, it does wind up skewing to some potentially more... Um, martial interpretations maybe right yeah. uh, you could potentially be a, a uh, soviet who's a you know card carrying member of the party so to speak or mm-hmm. or an agent or a commissar or a comrade um, but there are also options for folks uh, that want to play kind of outside that norm um, and play something either a, a bit more outside the um strictures of that society like the bratva who are going to be organized crime in some variety um you depending on how you wanted to theme your character uh you could do a lot of different things with that possibly the occultist or the the scientist um so there there are options for people um 
to play around with some different things, but they are all going to skew towards being something fairly um, active in that world. You're you're not currently going to find an, an option to play a, um, I don't know, a grocery store manager or something <laughs> like that. Okay, so that's some of the roles that you can take on. And it definitely does play into that because you're playing this Cold War themed game and you have that supernatural element, which in the background of Party First, the higher ups in control kind of there know that the supernatural world does exist. That's really important to what Party First entails. Actually, isn't it really what's important for Twilight War now that I think about it? Can we talk a little bit about what Twilight War is? Yeah, I think it's important kind of across the board. Um, like you said, the the supernatural world exists uh, here in the world of Party First. We've we've called it the Twilight World here. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that go bump in the night are real, but the the average everyday citizen um, does n- not uh, know that to a full extent. There may be people that you know, still believe some old folklore or, or whatever, but um, yeah. most things are downplayed or otherwise explained in order to um, maintain their kind of specific view of society, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, um, one of the ways that this old history world kind of diverges as well as a way that it's similar, um, is in the fallout of what we call the Long War. Uh, in the Twilight world, the, the Long War was one, like, 20-year-long war. There was not a very clear delineation between uh, World War One and World War Two. There were some periods of, you know, greater kind of detente, but not not true peace and so at the end of the long war different portions were uh divvied up between uh the victorious powers and so we do have a kind of germany analog known as tiersland um, and its capital Berberg, which is uh, indeed split much like we were familiar with uh, in our own world with East and West Germany and East and West mm-hmm. Berlin. Um, so that gives people kind of a starting point of something similar. But yeah. on the opposite side of that scale, there is a division that happened as well in the Japanese equivalent, uh, a portion of Northeastern uh, Tsipengu. Uh, it has been carved off by the USRA, uh, and claimed oh actually um <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's actually uh because we're not only supernatural horror um so the uh the fallout of the atomic bombs kind of did some different things in this world not only uh, in okay locations of the drop points but also um mutations and such so um, the folks uh, in that that northern realm have been um cordoned off into this realm of um kind of atomic horror in this fallout zone that is is guarded by the black watch of the usra and of course the things inside may be exploited by those in the know but not everyone knows so yeah those those are a a couple of the ways that it kind of kind of sets up the standard of where we are in the world right now uh in the game take taking place in 85 uh of this world and uh the twilight war as as it were rages at its peak uh or its coldest or maybe its darkest depending on how you want to interpret that um so yeah the twilight war book uh, leans in more on that spy and espionage angle. Uh, what's happening in the shadows while the the great Eastern and Western powers, um, you know, claim to be at a standoff. What are they doing to each other that they don't acknowledge or claim? 
and how is that hidden what are the human agents doing and uh possibly more importantly what is the gloam uh and how is it infiltrating both sides oh that's a sentence i did not expect <laughs> yeah that that sir is exclusive to your podcast we've not spent any time talking about the gloam yet elsewhere um, okay. but we will say uh there are some possibly extra dimensional origins okay oh uh and and another thing uh just from a flavor perspective i really love uh my my co-designer on Twilight War, Jared, this was his idea. Uh, this led to the creation of adversaries known as Hollow Men. Hollow Men? What are those? Or is that uh, to be discovered? Well, um, the short version, I don't want to give everything away. Plus, just in general, with the setting of Party First, we're trying to set up interesting toys and then let players knock them over. So we're not necessarily ah, okay. going to spell out, even in the book, what everything is that the Gloam is up to or its goals. Uh, yeah. But it's a, it's an extra-dimensional force that is taking over operatives of its own in our world and hollowing them out until there is nothing human left inside them. Uh, and they have been replaced with an otherworldly intelligence. Um, so you can kind of think the uh, the non-comedic Men in Black, the uh, the spooky <laughs> urban legend kind. Yeah. Um, that that's kind of what's left. These agents that are out there working and maybe convincing most people that they're still human, but whatever is behind them is not not on anyone's side anymore i hate that i love it but i hate it at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited for them yeah that's on oh, i think players are gonna have a lot of fun with that so twilight war is basically one part supplement one part source book right it's got an adventure with it it's got some two some two adventures things. actually two adventures okay yeah so on top of some new toys, it's also got some things for you to actually sit down and explore with your friends then. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it has a bunch of new toys from, uh, I guess, a mostly mechanical sense, I guess. Should I yeah. be counting adversaries as mechanical? I mean, we're statting them out, uh, but they are <laughs> also a flavor thing. You know, I've always been fuzzy on that line. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of new adversaries. I think it was 16 more, if I remember right. Four more classes, 13 new advantages, plus a bunch of, uh, you know, another timeline of the um, Twilight War and some, some major happenings there. There's going to be info breaking down different types of intelligence agents and how they can, they kind of fit into um the world in uh not not just the twilight world but like how they operate in the world of espionage so that you okay. uh, have some ideas on how to utilize them we're going to be giving you some short overviews of um, different intelligence agencies in the world uh like the federated states cis uh or um maybe uh, Stephanie Carrington, codenamed Baroness, one of uh, Anglia's most notorious agents, uh, or even the dreaded East Tearsland set, uh, okay. who are prob probably the most um, most controlling of any of these agencies. So yeah, there's a there's ah. a lot there from that angle on top of. Um, some new mechanical uh, toys that we wanted to add. Mm -hmm. Speaking of new mechanical toys in both the very literal and the written, you were really excited to tell me a little bit about the vehicle system, and I had to stop you before that. You want to talk a little bit about <laughs> vehicles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So uh, vehicles are probably one of the two big new things uh, that we're adding. And while the original Party First had kind of some cultural touchstones and inspiration in things like, you know, Cthulhu and, say, Red Dawn and the Hunt for Red October and so on. um, A lot of the inspiration, admittedly, for uh, Twilight War comes from James Bond, right? We we are trying to broaden the world and give people an extra perspective or a, a different perspective from usual, um, yeah. right? Because the players are expected to be good-ish folks at the least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if not heroes, it's it's the folks above them that yeah. are clamping down that, that are not um, beneficial. And so we still keep coming back to Bond, though. Like, when I think Cold War and I think Spies, like, that's 90% of, of what I can think of right now. <laughs> Obviously, there's tons of other stuff, um, oh, yeah. media that we can dig into, um, you know, older stuff like the, the Fourth Man, for instance. Or wait, the Third Man? Wait, dang it, I always get the number oh, wrong. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, um... Now that you said it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll have to go grab the DVD. It's out here under the TV. Uh, I'm not oh, going to no. leave the interview to do it, but um, the fourth man, regard- 1983 film. We got yeah, it. okay, got there it. we go, there we go. <laughs> um, you know, you could even potentially do some Manchurian Candidate uh, type stuff, but um, mm-hmm. that that may play even better for. The next book we've got planned after this, Profit First, but uh, oh, in this one, yeah, we can we can come back to that if you want. Um, <laughs> but in this one, because of the because of the James Bond inspiration, one of the big things when we think spies as a pop culture thing are all of those cool gadgets, right? Yeah, be that listening devices or you know exploding pens or the experimental car that can drop oil slicks behind it and, you know, is turbocharged and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we knew we wanted to, to introduce some of that. And so we, we wound up with the vehicle system as a way to play off of those types of gadgets, but also a lot of um, kind of challenge capabilities or or scenarios that folks might think of where you're you know chasing down the street trying to to get you know your contact that is desperately speeding away from you Uh, so we wanted to kind of mechanically play with around with that and give people uh, the opportunity to do something similar you know the base system here is still the same for dice resolution and stuff yeah but have a little have a little more flavor to it. Uh, be excited about taking some of these out there or getting into the secret base and being able to hijack the experimental space plane or things like that. So there, there's a system here uh, for GMs to kind of quickly uh, cobble together a vehicle of different um, grades is the term we settled on. Um, so you can scale that from something like, say, uh, a bicycle all the way up to that experimental space plane, and you can kind of get an idea for how interesting or special they are. Uh, they have uh-huh. features that are special abilities they can have, and higher grades can have more, and so you, you can mix and match and yeah. kind of create whatever you want on the fly to fit your scenario. It's really advantageous, too, because you've, from what I've seen, designed it so that it's really quick and easy for the game master to be able to put these things together because there is a number of options, but being able to build on things and to assemble something unique and interesting and something that your players want to engage in, I think it really speaks to how Party First is designed to engage the players, especially in a game about espionage, where at the heart, you you aren't really going to be going as frequently. You're not going to be going as gung-ho 
in party first as you would maybe something along the lines of I I can't think of anything that's equivalent right now. Maybe maybe Starfinder is the closest that I could think of off the top of my head, actually. You're not going guns a blazing in this game as often. <laughs> right, right. One of the things that I really wanted to talk about was actually pulling a little bit back from Twilight War and talking a little about you as a writer with this one. You, between just this and Warm in the Winter and a couple of your other games, you've shown that there's a huge, huge span in genres that you're able to write for. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how something like Twilight War differs from writing something like Warmer in the Winter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you're you're putting me uh, on the spot with this one. I wish you uh, had, had <laughs> shot me that question beforehand. Um, not because I think it's a bad question, but because you're making my poor English major heart flutter here thinking, oh, wait a minute, you know, I do need to actually get in and examine this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, you know, I think that there is definitely something there, um, but I'm not sure if I've put enough self-reflection into it yet. I, I was an English major, as I said, and so looking for um, different tales and how to connect with them is something that was kind of ingrained in me. I guess I should even clarify I was a literature major, not not ah. like technical writing or something useful. <laughs> um, and And like what that angle of shared human experience is you know even in something kind of fantastical like um you know horror or gothic lit that was that was my jam that was my senior seminar and all that that kind of thing um there there's still something that people are able to um try to connect with underneath Uh the fantastical trappings yeah. And so, you know, like we've mentioned about me bouncing from one end of that scale to the other, and maybe maybe that's some of it is that I'm looking for something um some shared experience like that that I can build some other scaffolding on top of. Maybe that scaffolding is not hugely different, um, like say the uh-huh. date that I mentioned earlier, but a lot of people yeah. have had that first date experience and they yeah. have the, the grounds for that feeling of kind of trepidation and anticipation. Um, one might say even that tension, uh, <laughs> and, and then, you know, at the opposite end of that scale, you, you have, party first or one white eye or the collapse that honestly i think still are just playing with anticipation or tension it's just shifted like what people are anticipating so yeah you you have given me some some pause to think about that i'm not gonna lie when i wrote that question down i thought you'd be like Oh, the difference is the movies I watch or something like that. I forgot that you were a literature <laughs> major. So <laughs> that was a bit of a bigger question than I mentioned to be. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. If if I if I'd had time to prep, maybe it's better that you did not give me time to prep because <laughs> if I had, that's that's easily a 10-page paper that I would have knocked out tonight. If you gave me more time than that, I mean, we're looking at mini dissertation or something. oh man that's (laughs) so well we've talked a little bit about what twilight war is who do you think would be some of the people who might benefit or who would enjoy this the most what what kind of audience do you think would benefit from playing party first twilight war Um, You know, I'm going to go with the most practical option here, which is probably not the type of answer that folks are expecting. 
but it does have a hand in how and why we created it this way, right? So like you said, the the, the resolution system is very quick and easy to, to grok, to pick up and run yep. with. The, you know, the classes, you make a, they're not quite playbooks from, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse, but you do just make yep. a, a handful of choices and, and you've got a couple baked in abilities and you run with it. Very straightforward. Yeah, uh, it, it's geared for one shots. You know, we've got two starter adventures in the book, uh, both mm-hmm. the original and coming in, in Twilight War. So all all of these types of things are all geared towards getting people in quickly and potentially out quickly who don't have a lot of time to devote to it anymore. Yeah. Um, in, in our... To it, I mean to gaming, to tabletop gaming, to, to role playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in in our group, one of the big issues uh, that's been run into a lot, even pre-COVID world, is you know starting some grand D and D campaign or or whatever it might be with no yeah. defined endpoint, and getting you know four sessions in. And then two people have to be gone, so you can't really play the big campaign. So now what do you do? And then, you know, people can't agree on the new next thing, and you blow more time. And, you know, schedules are just a pain once you're an adult across the board. That's (laughs) only a tiny nutshell of all those issues. So Party First, I, I honestly would say, is geared towards other folks without... um the time to devote to tabletop gaming that they wish they had so that they can get in and they can have a cool experience quickly um, and bring it to a close quickly, you know, so that they can mm-hmm. move on and experience the next game that tickles their fancy. Yeah. I think I told you this before, but I recommend party first to anybody who looks at call of Cthulhu's character sheet and, their heart sinks because there's a lot of options and if you want stress uh, a game that's built on horror and fun interactions and is really simple and fast and like you said short emphasis on like not having to play you could play a campaign in this but you don't need to yeah i think that party first is perfect for that person who wants to play tabletop role-playing games but does not have the next six months free that's the goal now if you want the (laughs) next next six months uh devoted to party first you know another teaser that jared is working on a six-part campaign called the children of chronos Um, uh so hopefully that will be out (laughs) later this year but um, that's very exciting yeah folks folks will have options i really appreciate that the amount of support that party first is getting i really do well, I, I genuinely appreciate that this is still a smaller indie title, but you and your team and the people working on this game are putting a lot of love into it because I think that's one of the best ways to keep these indie projects going and to keep the community engaged. I mean, we look at, and like I'm not, I'm not going to rip them down for it, but every three months there's like a new D&D book that comes out. And whether that's a supplement mm-hmm. or an adventure... But they're, they're, they're constantly churning out stuff. So the fact that, from what I can tell, you've, on this podcast, mentioned three different upcoming party-first pieces that are coming out. So k- kudos. Like, that's great. I'm, I'm really excited and happy for you there. Well, thank you. Yeah, we've, we've got big plans. Um, big, big plans for stuff still coming. Um, so I'm hoping that this does well and continues to do well so we can, you know, afford to make them a reality, so to speak. (laughs) Well, I hope so too. Will, we're actually starting to run a little bit low on time here. We got about 45 minutes down here. So let's, uh, let's get into our ending questions. So sure. Considering you're the first guest who's returned to the show, it feels a little odd to ask you for more advice on how to start a project. So I've got a new question for you, and I think that a lot of people actually really appreciate this too in general. So what sort of advice can you give 
people from burning out on their projects, especially if they're transitioning between two different things. From burning out on their projects, you said? Yeah, from from putting too much energy, falling out with them, that kind of thing. You know, um, that is admittedly a tough one. Um, if you look mm-hmm. at the release dates on uh, Party First and the various supplements to that so far, um, yeah. you are going to notice a gap in there. Um, yep. So... I've, that is definitely something I've dealt with. Um, it it might sound kind of tricky. Um, I I will say I got lucky uh, in that I made a fan early who was very enamored of the the system when he read the core book. Uh, that would be Jared, uh, oh. who started <laughs> who started talking to me about the game afterward. And has just been such a font of ideas and enthusiasm that obviously I wound up bringing him in on other projects. And even when I've burnt out and hit kind of my mental limit on something and I wander off to work on a project at the opposite end of the scale, I mean... And sometimes it is good to take that break and yeah. and live in a different headspace. But it is nice to have somebody else involved um, for that accountability, I guess, to, to ping okay. me every once in a while and say, hey, by the way, do you ever have the chance to edit Children of Kronos Chapter 3 yet? Um, <laughs> and And kind of bring you back down to earth. So I, I acknowledge not everybody has that type of fan, but it, it does yeah. seem like the, the indie scene is uh, super cool by and large, and there are definitely some some various Discord servers I've been in, Zine yep. Creators Workshop, uh, your, yours uh, for the podcast, um, that have been very welcoming. And I would not be surprised if folks could make one other friend there. Maybe even just straight up be blunt and say hey i'm i'm looking for somebody else to talk to about this project you don't really have to contribute per se other than you know if you don't hear something new about it you know after two months would you just hit me up and make sure i'm actually doing <laughs> something we have a term for that in counseling and it's making yourself accountable and the, not not in a bad way at all but basically what you said is like you were lucky because you had a fan who came up and helped you with that. But even a friend or a self message and a lot of things like that can be really supportive in in developing something, especially if you do need a break. I know that there have been times where I've been burning out on schedule for launch and there are some incredible people in that I've talked to and I've met through this that are really mm-hmm. supportive and have helped definitely pull, pull me through those, those times where I, <laughs> I don't feel like recording or trying to get somebody on the show. So making yourself accountable is definitely something that, uh, that could be hugely beneficial. Well, I'm, I'm definitely glad that, uh, you've had folks helping you out with that on the podcast. Cause I, I know the, the podcast grind can definitely cause some burnout. Oh yeah, you've you've done it for a while. <laughs> Will, where can people find out more about you and Party First Twilight War? Yeah, so the easiest place to go find info on Twilight War, I set up a redirect to the Kickstarter page. You can search for it there or you can just type bit.ly/twilightwar and that's going to take you straight to the project page. If you're curious to follow other avenues, uh, my most active uh, for gaming is probably Twitter. That's at the underscore Gamonomicon. That's like the Necronomicon, but with game at the front instead of Necro. (laughs) So uh, there's also an Instagram and a Facebook page under Gamonomicon. Those are not as active. 
but Twitter is evidently the place to be. I think Twilight War is phenomenal. Let's help Will bolster up this indie game and really get out there, help support him. I, I think it's it's great. Thank you so much, Will, for coming back and talking to you about this, especially so soon. I, I know there wasn't much time away, but it's great to have you back, and I was very excited that somebody wanted to return. Oh, thank you for having me back on. It's been a blast. <laughs> thank you once again, Will. Audience, thank you for listening. Will and Party First Twilight War, they are scheduled for launch really soon. So go help them finish up and make sure they get out there. I hope you all take care of yourselves. Have a good night. I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Once again, thank you, Will, for joining me on the show again. Party First is an amazing game, and Twilight War is wrapping up to be just as special. If you're listening to this before February 25th, 2022, and you just scroll down to the description really quick and hit that first link, just a little further. Whoop, too far. That one. This will take you right to Party First Twilight War's Kickstarter page, where you can go and support Will and the other wonderful creators of Party First Twilight War. This game's already funded, so it's a safe bet that you're going to get it, and I know you're going to love it. Thank you, listener, for joining me on Schedule for Launch again. We have officially broken over 1,000 listens, so that's pretty fucking rad. If you like the show, let somebody know. Word of mouth is the best way to keep us growing, and reach more of these incredible small creators who just need a little bit more love and people playing their games. If you don't like the show, tell me by joining our Discord. That's in the description down below as well. While you're there, why not help some of the creators who are trying to get their stuff playtested? It really helps them. They need the support and it's a lot of fun. I love playtesting games, so go and check out. There's a couple people right now looking for for folks who want to try some new games, so please join us and go check out that page next week we'll be having another returning voice come back to schedule for launch and chatting with us about a project that's actually just released a few days ago b creator of world of wildevere will be back to talk with us about parallel to anywhere a podcast that cross plays with lots of other actual play podcasts i can't wait for you to join us and hear what we talk about it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed this conversation but until then Take care of yourselves and have a good night. See you next time.